desert island dicks. <coughs> Ds. Well, it's written dicks. Okay, as you wish. Desert Island Ds from the Revelation Station podcast. Real people choosing the ten albums that influenced their musical taste. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the first episode of Desert Island Ds. Today, my guest is the popular podcaster and broadcaster, Gary Starr. Gary's joining me today to talk about the 10 music albums that greatly influenced his music taste. So, Gary, welcome. Hello, Simon. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Well, I was born at a very early age, um, <laughs> which, which worked out very well because I fit the clothes that everybody bought for me. I was born in the fair city of Nottingham in the spring of 1964, which makes me 30-something. Um, other than that, it was a pretty normal upbringing. Um, I was raised in a part of Nottingham called Besswood, which is a... Sli- well, at the time, it wasn't particularly rough, but now you, you wouldn't go around it and anything's shorter mm. than the tank, really. You know, I had four sisters, four elder sisters, who bullied the hell out of me mm-hmm. and tortured me incessantly with tickling and various other things. Yes. Um, and it was, in fact, one of my sisters. Her name is Christine. And it was this sister who introduced me to swearing <laughs> um, because she was the very first person I swore at. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I've never looked back since, really. <laughs> it's been a lifelong passion of yours. It has. It has. I'd like to think I've grown in that role. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, I have to blame one of my sisters for my introduction to swearing. She got me so mad, I think I told her balls, uh, <laughs> which, which, which caused a bit of a ruckus in the house. Because um, she immediately told mum, little, little cow. <laughs> um, I say little cow, she was a lot bigger than me. Um, but... Uh, I had a pretty normal upbringing, really. Mm-hmm. Nothing special, nothing nothing crazy, nothing zany. No terrible traumas or dark secrets in your childhood? Oh, God, yes, but I'm not, I'm not telling you <laughs> those. Um, I mean, some of them are still, want, um, are still under police investigation, so <laughs> I really don't want to go into them now. Suffice to say, as far as you're concerned, and as far as the police concerned, it was a very normal upbringing with nothing untoward happening. Uh, nobody saw you do it. You can't prove anything. That's it, that's it. It was before the the, the days of, of uh, cellular phones, so nobody caught it on video. So as far as I'm concerned, it didn't happen. So you would you say you grew up in the 70s then, rather than the 80s? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I say, I say my, my teens were in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to describe that time. Um, people always go on about the 60s, you know. You, you, if you can remember them, you weren't there. Yeah. Um, and due to my advanced years, I can't remember the 70s either. But I don't know if that's because of what was going on in the 70s or because it was a hell of a long time ago. To be fair, as I remember the 70s, all I remember from the 70s was my chopper bike and some really great television. So obviously one of the big uh, TV shows of the 1970s was Top of the Pops. Uh, was that where you first became aware of music? No, not at all. Never watched it. This is, this is really weird. Um, I never watched Top of the Pops. I really wasn't into pop music at the time, mm. and although there were some there were some classic bands at the time, yeah. you know, late seventies. We're talking Rainbow, we're talking mm. Black Sabbath, Deep Purple. Never listened to any of them yeah. at all. Missed missed that entirely. I yeah. was not into the, into that kind of music at the time, and wasn't really into pop music either. Mm. So I occasionally watched the old Grey Whistle Test when that was on because they had some interesting stuff on. But general stuff like Top of the Pops, yeah. no, I wasn't interested at all. Okay, so what was your first introduction to music? Oh, this is this is just 
you know, I cannot remember where my interest in music started. All I remember from those years is that I was basically a classics buff. Hmm. I didn't have a massive amount of them. Yeah. I only had seven or eight records that I played on a little record player in my bedroom. To this day, I have no idea where I got those records because <laughs> not a single member of my family is interested in classical music, hmm. not even accidentally. So I don't know where I got these records from. I know some records, like the first one on my list, I actually bought myself from a, from Woolworths Yeah. Um, when that was still a going concern. Um, and it was like, there were pennies then for four albums. Mm. Um, and I think I got it out of, out of pocket money or whatever I was, stole it or, you know, <laughs> bludgeoned an old granny for it or something. I don't know how I got hold of it. But these seven or eight records that I had, I played endlessly. And I... It was not a school influence. It was not a, a television influence. I just really liked this music, and I don't know where I got the records from or who introduced me. Yeah, I just have a memory of playing these records. I remember I had a couple of Beethoven, a couple of Grieg. Uh, I think I can't remember some of the other. Those are the two that, that really jump into my mind as having copies of. But I could not tell you which particular concertos or whatever they were. Yeah, um, I just played them endlessly but this was literally my entire collection of music at the time they didn't do a lot of it on top of the pops so that's why i wasn't really watching top of the pops no they don't no, no. Hello, pop pickers and here's the latest one from beethoven hello pop pickers here we the latest one from ring of the valkyries by <laughs> with pan's people dancing to it you know um, yeah it didn't really happen so you know it's uh that's mainly why i wasn't watching top of the pops at the time that i would have probably listened to Top of the Pops, when I was listening to this music, it would have been bands like uh, Bay City Rollers and Queen and, well, early Queen especially, mm. and I can't remember, things like Mud and stuff like that. Yeah. They would have been the bands that were on Top of the Pops at the time. Status yeah. quo, obviously, because I think they've been going since like yeah. 1910 so, or something. So how old would you have been when you had these classical records? I would say between about mm. 12 to 14 was was really when I was I was doing it. Yeah. After 14, I got a few soundtracks. My first soundtrack was when I was 13, my film soundtrack, and that was the Star Wars soundtrack. And mm. I played that to death. Yeah. Um, but then I also got into other soundtracks after that. So I was listening to like the Raiders soundtrack. Mm -hmm. It wasn't all John Williams, but there was quite a lot of John Williams in there. But, yeah. Um, but sort of, so that was, I should have put that as one of my, my top ten, I suppose, because that was like a segue mm. between classical and something more modern. Yeah. Um, but I, I classed them all as classics, uh, classical as it were. So yeah. so I didn't really consider that as a deviation. Yeah. So it's orchestral music, not classical music yeah. per se. Okay, cool. So why don't you tell us about your first choice album then? The first choice album is going to be um, it's, this again. This is this is the one I bought from Woolworths. I remember buying it. Mm -hmm. I don't remember why I bought it. <laughs> Opera is not my thing at all. My grasp of the Italian language is uh, basically how to buy an ice cream. After mm -hmm. that, it's complete gibberish. Yeah. And I think I probably get pizza. I can say pizza. Is that Italian? I don't know. Anyway, um, so this album was by yep. Mozart. It was uh, Marriage of Figaro. Mm -hmm. um, this was released in uh, 1786. I don't know what uh, what uh, record label it was on. <laughs> um, but it was it was a comic opera. It's uh, in a four acts, and it's basically about 
Figaro and Suzanne, who are two servants in the employ of their master, whose name completely escapes me at the moment. Mm -hmm. And he's a bit of a philanderer. He's already got eyes on Suzanne. And this is how they get not only a one-upmanship on him, but they get together and they finally get married. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's a very comic opera. Yeah. At the time, I enjoyed the music and the sounds of the singing. Yeah. No idea what it was about. It was only the back sleeve that told you it was a comic opera. I assumed <laughs> it was funny. I have no idea it was funny, but I loved the music and I loved the complexity of the music and yeah. the singing and the voices. I can't remember which particular orchestra or performers were, were performing it. Um, it was too long ago, and I've probably got the album somewhere, but it will be in the loft. Yeah. But I just love the complexity of it. So when did you first hear that album, then? I say, I, I, I went into Woolworths, and I, I saw this, and I bought it. I, I had no no previous knowledge of it. Um, I was just flicking through, and I thought, that looks interesting. I've not heard opera before, so I'll just buy it. Right, so you had no connection to it at all. No, just no, not the look heard of anything it. of it. Hmm, yeah. Interesting, interesting. The only real memories I have of listening to this album, and they are very fond memories, uh, is a very strong sense of, of like lying on my bed mm-hmm. on summer's days with the sun reflecting off the roof, off the ceiling of my bedroom, mm-hmm. and just lying there with my eyes shut and listening to this beautiful music and singing, yeah. um, which must have drove the rest of my family mad because my sisters were all Elvis and the Osmonds, <laughs> whereas I was in the front room listening to Marriage of Figaro. <laughs> um, so it must, the, my parents must have thought I was a bit of a cuckoo. Yeah. Um, not crazy, as in the bird. Yes. Um, yeah, so um, I just, I, to this day, I still don't know how I got into that kind of music. <laughs> not a family thing. None of my family would ever be interested in that. Well, so which track have you chosen from this album and why have you chosen this particular track? It's, it's not really a track. It's basically the overture intro to this track. Uh, this album, yeah, this this opera. <laughs> <laughs> Mozart wasn't really thinking album at the time, so uh, you know it's it's the overture, and it's just I love this. It's a very familiar piece. I think most people will, will recognize it, mm-hmm. but it sums up the entire thing perfectly. It's light, it's frothy, it's fun. It's got everything. It says the whole opera in this one opening sequence, and it's a beautiful piece of music. Okay, let's hear a little bit now. from The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart to Gary's first choice. So what's your next choice of album? 
Now, my second choice is is interesting because I say I was interested in classical music, and then in 1980 I went to college. Mm -hmm. um, I was doing my engineering, yep. and so I went to college, and I was. You know when you're in your early teens and you want to fit in? Yeah. And everybody in my class was basically into rock music. Mm. They loved rock music. And you can't stand up and go, yeah, you should try listening to Vivaldi sometime, because it just doesn't float. Yeah. Um, so I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to listen to some of this. Uh, I don't know what. So I remember going into a record shop mm -hmm. uh, one day, uh, and I had my little wallet full of my wages i went into the record shop and i had literally no idea mm -hmm. not a sausage i mean it's like i've never heard rock music so so what do you buy i mean really is you is your, your first dib into it what do you go for so i went in and i just started to flick i went to the rock section and yep. it was all labeled a to z and mm -hmm. Um, I just started flicking through it. I, I was there for ages and I had no idea. And then I got to R mm -hmm. and I was flicking through there and this cover grabbed me. Yeah. This beautiful piece of artwork on the cover of this album. And I thought, if I hate this album, I can at least look at the picture. I can mm. at least pin the album cover to my wall because it was a beautiful piece of artwork. And if you've never seen this, you should, you should see it because it is a really nice piece of artwork. Yeah. Um, and this was uh, for uh, Rainbow's Rising album. Yeah. Um, released in 1976, mm -hmm. it was uh, the second album by Rainbow, the mm -hmm. first being Rishi Blackmore's Rainbow. Um, and Ronnie James Dio, the late great Ronnie James Dio, was singing on this album. And anybody who's listened to any bands that Ronnie James Dio has sung for, you know you're going to be in for a treat, because I don't think he's ever made a bad album. Hmm. Um, he's just there's just something about his voice and the way yeah. he performs it yeah. brings such energy to the tracks and uh, this was I put it on not knowing what to expect remembering I was just listening to classical music I put this on and it was like a light switch going on in my head yeah it was just instantly fell in love with this music it was it was fun it was fast it was furious it was loud it was powerful yeah. the songs were were great i mean all right it's rock music and it was the 70s you know they're all about <laughs> but they weren't all about love and kissing and girls and sex and mm. drugs and rock and roll these were these were fantasy novels yeah. uh, in themselves they were all rainbow <laughs> yeah that is a pretty rainbow on the album cover um but I was already reading fantasy novels and yeah. science fiction novels at the time. So that also helped gel with this album because some of the album tracks are almost novels in themselves. Hmm. Um, they're pretty good stories, especially uh, the track I've chosen as the, my favourite one, is Stargazer, which is inside too. Um, it is basically a great story in the song. Hmm. And uh, I, I just gelled with this instantly and I, I just became a massive Rainbow fan instantly. It's odd that knowing you like classical music, that your friends didn't recommend prog rock music to you as a sort of a well, it, way into it. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't that they were they were suggesting it. It was that I was trying this music hmm. to fit in. Yeah. So it wasn't like I said to the back going, well, you know, I like classical music, and they go, hey, well, you should listen to that was Nick, because I just didn't admit to liking classical liking classical music. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to fit in, so I bought this. And the one thing I, I 
found with this album mm. was that my love of classical music really helped me appreciate rock music. Yeah. And a lot of people will, will disagree with this, no doubt, but rock music, really good rock music, especially like 70s, 80s rock music, mm. the really good stuff, is so complex in the way it's put together. Yeah. That it is very like classical music because you can listen to it a thousand times on headphones and hear something different every single time. Yeah. I'm not talking about Guns N' Roses or any of that yeah. trash. I'm talking about some of the really classic rock tracks. There's just so much going on there. Because, I mean, some of these bands had seven, eight, nine people playing in them. Yeah. And you can hear, if you just sit there and listen with your headphones, you can hear every single note from every single person. And every time you hear it, you can locate a different thing to follow. And that's why it was such an easy transition. If I picked another band, it might not have been so, you know, mm. quite so easy. Yeah. But this was a band where they had so much going on, it was an easy transition because I got the same pleasure from listening to it. So you've chosen the track Stargazer. Why yes. have you chosen that track in particular? Partially because it's a really powerful track, really well performed and really excellently sung by Ronnie James Dio. Mm. But also because it harkens back to my love of science fiction and fantasy. So the story that's involved in the track is is a really nice story. More of a more than more than it's fantasy historical the story in itself. Yeah. But it was just, I thought it was very powerful and very powerfully sung. And I just loved it. I thought it was a great track. Stargazer by Rainbow, and that moves us on to your third choice, which is... Yeah, well, now I just got into rock music, and it was starting... Now I could go into class and go, hey, guess what I listened to today? And they go, oh, you like rock music now? You should try blah, blah, blah. So I was getting suddenly influenced by lots of other people now, yeah. and they were suggesting bands that I should listen to. And the next album um, was... A tonal change from Rainbow, whereas Rainbow is very melodic. This is more 
I want I want to use the word brutal in the way it it, it attacks music, mm-hmm. but it's not thrash metal at all by any standards. Yeah. Um, it's, it's standard. It's rock music, but yeah. it's a more power based approach rather than an instrumental approach, which which was Rainbow. Yeah. So the album I've, I've, that really got me into sort of more heavy rock, shall we say, mm-hmm. was ACDC's Backing Black. Mm-hmm. Um, I, seem, I seem to recall there might even have been a party where I went round to somebody's house and we, yeah. were, we were looking at records. And I, I think that was put on at one of these parties. Um, this was released in 1980 and it's the seventh studio album yeah. by ACDC. Um, and it, it was... Just you sat down. It was just like listening to this wave of sound hit, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was a great piece of music. Again, not this is where I started straying from classical music because it's yeah, it's not that as complicated yeah. a sound as some other bands, um, but it is raw and it is powerful and it it it's a it gets parts of you tapping you know you sit there and your, your toes are tapping along with it you can't help yourself even people who don't like rock music like some acdc tracks yeah because there's just something about the music that that resonates in you yeah um, and they're pretty good at that they're one of those bands that can distill their style down to a particular music in many ways people take the mickey out of bands like status quo quite rightly so sounding the same all the time um, but ACDC, I think, are very similar to that in that they distilled their sound. You can immediately tell it's, a, it's a, an ACDC track when you hear it on yes. the radio. Um, Definitely. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're just, they're just, they have iconic guitaring, and they've, they've, had, they've been fortunate to have two classic singers mm. who sound like nobody else on the planet. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you put ACDC track on, most people can identify it instantly as an ACDC track yeah. if they've heard ACDC at least once before. Excellent. So, which track have you chosen from this album? I'm going to choose the title track, Back in Black, purely because it's powerful. Yeah. <laughs> is probably the hardest thing we've we've uh, had so far um did your music tastes go further down that hard rock avenue it's hard to say yeah i suppose they did because i was listening to other bands at the time i went then went on to bands like deep purple and um ufo and various other bands like that so it went down the rock um path yeah i went down that path and so i started gathering more and more bands into it it was at this time that i went to see my 
first concert, yeah. which was Saxon. Mm. It's a good British rock band. Uh, they never made it abroad. Really. Yeah. I don't think they've ever made it in the States because they are quintessentially mm. British. They're, they're pretty good, yeah. but their music doesn't travel. Um, it's, it is it's as British as a pork pie. And when you saw Saxon, were they wearing the fur underpants and uh, <laughs> dressed as crazy Vikings? Uh, that I can't attest to, no. I don't recall them wearing fur underpants. I don't think we ever got to that stage of familiarity. <laughs> so if, you, if you've been recommended all this sort of um, heavy rock music, what made you choose your next album or what is it? Right, now, it was at this time, this was about 82 now, 82, mm-hmm. and I, I am at this time of an age where I can go on holiday on my own without the parents. And me and three friends got a caravan at Great Yarmouth and we went on holiday. It was a big adventure. Um, <laughs> and while we were there, there was a uh, under the, the Oasis Tower in Great Yarmouth, there used to be a flea market. And we went in there and they had hmm. this store that had a load of tapes. And we bought a tape machine with us. And uh, this store had loads of like rock tapes and stuff hmm. so i went in there and i bought two tapes each of these tapes had two albums on on each side mm-hmm. um and i listened to them while we're on holiday and these are my next two albums because they are poles apart musically yeah but each one is different enough that it made me think oh oh i could go oh that's interesting i could, you know they yeah. were they were so different in in them that they they branched me off in different directions yeah um, so again, my my tasty music was forking, mm-hmm. forking awful, as my <laughs> sisters would say. Um, but it was it was forking. So I'm going to say both of these together, okay. really, All right. because they were they were played at the same time and they both had the same effect on me. Yeah. So what's the first one? Um, so the first one is ZZ Top's Tres Hombres. Mm-hmm. I think it's their third studio album. Yeah. Um, released in 1973. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm pretty much behind the times, but I'm catching up. Yeah. I'm only ten years out at this point, so that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And this, if, if everybody has heard of ZZ Top, mm. but if you go back to this album, yeah, it's a much more bluesy, bluegrass mm. sort of sound. It's it's not the Eliminator, yeah, album sound. This yeah. is a much earlier rock sound. Yeah. It has got the classic track, the Green Jump, yeah. which is the one I'm going to pick mm. as my track off this album, even though it has got many many great tracks on but it was it was i suppose my first introduction to a blues focused kind of music even though they're not actually blues some of the tracks on here like waiting at the bus stop for jesus and things like that Mm -hmm. are very bluesy and uh that sent me down another path as well so i'm gonna pick lagrange to listen to off this one okay
saw ZZ Top at uh, Donington in, mm. when was that, 86, 87, something like that. Yeah. And um, we were all sat there and they came on stage and a helicopter flew over the top with the Eliminator car strung beneath it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure health and safety wouldn't allow them to do that now. Because <laughs> um, it looked very dodgy at the time. But uh, it was, everybody cheered as it went over and thought, please don't, fall anything, don't let anything fall off that <laughs> so you mentioned that uh, you bought these two on tapes. Um, what, what were you primarily using to listen to music at this point? Were you listening to tapes or were you listening to vinyl more often? Good question. Vinyl predominantly. Um, I had a stereo centre. Mm-hmm. So it was it was an all-in-one piece of kit that had a radio at the front and yep. a tape deck on one side and the record deck on the other. Did it have a glass um, door? Uh, it had a glass lid. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It, was all mo- it was very modern tech at the time. Mm. Um, this was before um, separates really came out yeah. and you could build in your own stereo to your own specifications. This was really the first, this was entry-level stuff. This yeah. is what you could get if you wanted everything in one piece of kit. Yeah. Um, so, But I was still predominantly listening to uh, vinyl. But this was my very first stereo. Yeah. Remember, the one I was listening to uh, earlier in my bedroom was just a record player with a speaker at the front. Yeah. So it was mono. So I'd never heard stereo until I got this. I do remember one of the first records that after I... I, Because I got this stereo for Christmas. And my parents bought me, um, I think it was... Oh, what was the band called? Shawaddy Waddy. (laughs) It was an album by Shawaddy Waddy. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I must have asked for it. I don't remember why. But I set the stereo up and I put the needle down. And I think the first track had a voice on one side going, and I nearly crapped myself because I wondered who was in the corner making this noise because I hadn't heard it coming out of one speaker before. Yeah. So it was weird to hear stereo. And I absolutely, it made me jump because I hadn't heard it coming from one direction before. So what what was the other album you bought at this this point then? It was Fragile by Yes. Ah, very different to ZZ Top. Very much so. I mean, I literally went into this store and just picked ones I let the covers to. Yeah. Um, you know, these are about as far apart as you can get musically. Mm. So this was um, a double pack then of those two albums, was that? This was. It had Close to the Edge on the other side. Right, ah, right, I've got you. Yeah. So it's two ZZ Top albums, two Yes albums. Yes. So I can't remember what was on the other ZZ. I think the other side of the ZZ Top was a live album. Yeah. But I can't remember what it was called at the moment. I could probably get it somewhere. Okay. Um, But this had Close to the Edge on the other. Yeah. Now, a lot of people might wonder why I've chosen Fragile over Close Mm. to the Edge. It's a a more superior album, I Mm. think. Controversial. It is controversial, but there was something about Fragile that that just hooked me in straight away. Mm. I'd already listened to the other side. Yeah. Because this was essentially the B side. Yeah. And... There was just something about this, though, that I just went, oh, oh, oh I really like that. That mm. was really nice, and I don't know what it was. It starts off with the track Roundabout, yeah, um, which is a great sort of... It's monotonous as it goes on, but mm. it, I, it's one you can love. You can get into it. It's a nice track. But I just loved the sound of this album. It was really, really good. So which track are you choosing from Fragile? Well... <laughs> This is one. This is another reason why you can't play the whole track because this is the, one of the long tracks on that album. Yeah. It's Heart of the Sunrise. Um, it's the last track on the album. Yeah. It's eleven minutes thirty-three uh, seconds long, mm-hmm. um, but it's just one of those tracks that you can just listen to. It. It's got key changes all the way through it. The, the flow, the music goes up and down. It's fast and it's slow, and then it builds to this massive crescendo and then fades off. Yeah, and it's. I just, I just love the complexity of it. Again, harkening back probably to my classical roots. Hmm. 
Hmm. I think if if you were going to choose any Yes album, I think Fragile makes most sense for you because that to me that is the the one where they're closest to the classical style. And they tend to go a little bit overblown on future albums, and before that they're a bit more poppy. But this one, with Rick Wakeman coming in, I think has many classical touches to it. You're probably correct. Yeah, as I say, it it it. it hmm. It appealed to me instantly, so there must have been something on there yeah. that vibed with my my early listening experiences. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, you're probably right. Cool. So, Heart of the Sunrise by Yes. So yes, has cemented you firmly in the prog rock style now. So closer, perhaps, to your classical music leanings. Did you stay with prog rock? No, no, oddly, no. I, I didn't go back to yes for quite a while. Um, I, I carried on with rock music, and at this time, yeah. because I was of an age where I could drink and go out, I started going to rock clubs. Yeah. So my Friday nights were basically a. a complete haze of loud music and booze mm. um, much to probably my, my parents disgrace um, and I was wearing clothes where your mother says you're not going out in that I can see your knees in those jeans <laughs> um, and things of that nature because this was before rips in jeans were, were pre-installed you had yeah. to make them yourself yeah. um, and, and you didn't really fit in unless you had ripped jeans new jeans were not a thing to wear to a rock club <laughs> um, so you, you had to really wear them in before you wore them out, yeah. so to speak. Um, but yeah, I continued down the, the rock path, and I was getting friends that I was going out with at yeah. the time, and they were also into rock music. Mm -hmm. And a very good friend of mine, Dea Ramgaria, he was a massive Rush fan, right? And he kept throwing albums at me, yeah. hoping they'd stick. Yeah. Um, 
and I liked them. Yeah. But I wouldn't say I was a Rush fan. Hmm. And then in 1984, they released their 10th studio album, which was Grace Under Pressure. Yeah. I remember buying it myself. I went to town and bought it. I don't know why I bought it. I hadn't heard it yet. But I just I was in town buying records. At that time, I was buying lots of different records. And I bought this, this album. And I took it home. And this album really just appealed to me, big style. Yeah. And I really got into it instantly. It, it was helped by the fact that um, this, on the first track on the, sec- on the second side, uh, The Body Electric, I think it's called, yeah. um, had a great video. And this was being shown on a couple of television uh, shows at the time. Yeah. I think um, Jonathan King's Letter from America or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, he was showing it on there and a few other programs. And the video was brilliant. I loved the video. Yeah. And the Body Electric is is a great sort of rocking song anyway. Mm. Um, oddly, not one of my favourite tracks on the album. Yeah. But one of the tracks that got me into the album. Yeah. Um, but but I loved this album from the get go, and it got me heavily into Russian. From then on, mm. I backtracked and thought, you know, I'm going to go around to my mate and say, those albums you're trying to throw at me. Can I borrow those albums? <laughs> and I just got massively into Rush and became a massive Rush head. I'm intrigued as to why you went out and bought a Rush album if you weren't particularly into Rush. What was it that that, that drove you to it or, or led you to it? As I say, I was, I was randomly going out and buying records at this time. So there were, there were some bands that I thought I, I wanted to listen to that. And th- the albums at that time were not expensive to buy. Mm. And I was earning a bit of money and still living at home so i had spare money to to, to flash around yeah. and i was just experimenting with lots of different music and i bought this because i kind of heard rush and i kind of liked rush but wasn't into rush and mm. then i saw the album cover and the album cover is a great piece of of modern mm. art yeah um and i thought yeah i'll give it a whiz yeah. and you know for, for a couple of pence i mean you, you go at the time you went to uh, select a disc in Nottingham, yeah. or we called it Select Scratch. <laughs> and you went in, and they used to get lots of albums that had been damaged in transit. Mm. So they had little nicks out of the covers. The albums themselves were fine, mm. but they had nicks out of the covers. Mm. So you could get those for half price. Yeah. So I was buying lots of these, and um, this was one of them. Uh, so uh, there's a bit of a theme here, then, because this is one with a good with a cover that appealed to you. <laughs> and you had... <laughs> Another, I like pretty pictures. The albums, the covers, gone for, which is a big thing, isn't it? Though, with vinyl, you've got that big chunk of vinyl. You think of all the classic bands, you know, uh, your Marillion and your your Rush and your Yes, with those great Roger Dean covers. And nowadays, it's slowly shrunk, hasn't it? Because it went to CD, yes. which is a lot I mean, smaller, and then it's gone now. It's gone to a little tiny little JPEG on your screen or on your phone. Yeah, I mean, when we when, when I was a kid, when we get albums, they were massive gatefolds. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking of like Brain Salad Surgery. Yes. Um, by um, Emerson Lake and Palmer, yeah. which had a massive, which was a massive Geiger painting, mm. and it was a beautiful piece of artwork. But and they used it and they made the whole gatefold out. Yeah. And it was a. It was a Oh, I say beautiful. Disturbing is probably a better word. Um, but it, it was, you know, we used to get albums that were gatefolds because the artwork was so big, you couldn't just have it on the cover. You yeah. had to cover the whole of the album. Mm. Um, it's sad that you don't get the, that level of artwork yeah. on an album anymore. It is, and it makes because they, they were pieces of art. Yeah, and it makes me wonder what's what's going to lead kids into new things nowadays because they have to hear the music now to know whether they want to try and listen to it whereas 
Mm. I was kind of the same as well. I'd go into a record store and buy something that I liked the cover. But obviously kids aren't going to go and buy a record because they like the cover now. They're going to listen to music because it's the same as music they're already listening to. So you've mentioned The Body Electric. Is that the track you're choosing or are you choosing a different track from the album? I'm choosing Red Sector A. Uh-huh. Uh, partially because whenever I have this album on in the car, this is the one I love belting out. Mm. I can't sing, save my life, as yeah. anybody who's heard will attest. Uh-huh. But I do like singing this. I love the changes in keys on this as yeah. well. Um, but I think it's got such a, a driving beat and more than anything an important message mm. um, which isn't a very cheerful message um, but I think it's worth listening to it's, yeah. a, it's a historical posterity type message yeah. and it's telling a lesson that we should never forget yes as far as I'm uh, aware. I believe that's true, yeah. So, what's your next choice? Okay, this is, again, this is, I remember I was going to rock clubs at the time, and this was another, this was a big band at the rock clubs. Um, and it was going down the, the same track as ACDC. Yeah. So it was a faster-paced, rawer sound. Mm-hmm. And the album I've, I've chosen here was Scorpions, Blackout. Mm. Um, Scorpions are a, they're a hit-and-miss band to some extent, and people are out there are going to start throwing rocks at the the whatever they're listening to this on for that but (laughs) some of their stuff is really good and some of it really isn't Mm. um that's that's probably unfair um i think the best thing to say is i'm hitting this when i listen to scorpions yeah some of the stuff i really like uh, and some just leaves me cold Mm. but this this particular album i thought was particularly good and it was another one that although it didn't change the direction of what i was listening to it reinforced yeah the one that was set off by acdc so I was getting more into rock music yeah. and heavier rock music. Um, although that, that didn't become predominantly what I listened to. Mm-hmm. It was another facet to what I was listening to. Yeah. So, so why this particular album 
from the scorpions then i'd like to say it's because of the artwork and it is in fact <laughs> really good artwork yeah um, but in this case it was purely because a friend of mine again dare amgaria borrowed me this album yeah and i started playing it and then immediately went out and bought my own copy mm. um, i just i just loved this album it was, it was you know there's ballads on there, there's hard rock, there's something in between. There's a mm-hmm. bit of something for everybody on this album. Yeah. When was it released? It was released in 1982. It was their eighth studio album. So wow. there were plenty of practice at this time. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get to see Scorpions for another couple of years after this. Yeah. Um, I think, I can't remember where I saw them. It might have been Monsters of Rock yeah. at Donington or... It might have been at the Nebworth Bowl. I don't know. Mm. But I've at least seen them at least two or three times now. Yeah. So Scorpion's obviously most famous for their Winds of Change track, which uh, conspiracy theories will have you believe was written by the CIA to bring down the Russian government. Is that a fact? <laughs> I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Um, I, I doubt that's true. But what tracks are there on this album, then? Anything that anybody would know? Well, the, the title track, Blackout, for a mm-hmm. start, it's one that um, is probably most played of scorpion tracks yeah um and it is a re- there's a really great guitar sound to this it's really raw mm-hmm. and you just as soon as you hear it start up you think yeah. oh, this is going to be interesting and it is it's very nicely done um i, l- I just like this track it's a really <laughs> good track this track will always appear on a compilation i do okay so let's hear a little bit of blackout by the scorpions <laughs> That's a rather personal <laughs> question, but the answer is yes. Um, uh, I've, been, I've tried everything, exercise, diet, and I'm, I'm just, it's just the way it goes. It's age. The older you get, the harder it is to get rid of every ounce. So, um, now, I meant music, musically. Oh, I don't right. know what you were talking oh, right. about. Um, I never got into anything like thrash, really. Yeah. I would listen to the odd bit here and there, but um, no, this is probably as, as, as sort of heavy as I get, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so no Metallica or Slayer in your choices? A little bit of Metallica, maybe. No Slayer. Mm-hmm. I, I listen mm. to bits of everything. So, yeah, I have heard this stuff over the years. But I wouldn't say yeah. any of it influenced me to go further down that route. So I, I wouldn't include any of those in, um, yeah. you know, any Anthrax or anything like that in any of my, my albums that influence me. Because they're, they're aberrations mm. more than the norm. Right. So an interesting choice for your next uh, album, then. Yes, um, I must admit, I have to blame this on a girl I was going out with at the time, Lydia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She was a massive fan of this band. 
Yeah. And I used to go around to, to her house and we'd sit and listen to music and mm-hmm. she'd always try and get me into this band mm-hmm. and eventually she succeeded mm-hmm. Be, uh, mostly through attrition i think and the back now this is this this is interesting because this mm-hmm. is the album that i i got into before the yeah. rest of it i then went like with rush i then went back and re-listened to the other albums mm-hmm. this particular album mm-hmm. i I liked from the start because it's pretty different from a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that this band eventually went on to do or what they did before that. Yeah. Um, but at the time, this was quite controversial because mm-hmm. the band were going through various split ups and yeah. some of them broke away and decided to do this album, mm-hmm. but they couldn't use the name of the band because of various legal reasons. So mm-hmm. they, they gave themselves another name. Mm-hmm. So the band is Hawkwind. Yes. And this album is called 25 Years On. But at the yeah. time, because they couldn't call it Hawkwind, they had to call themselves Hawk Lords. So right. depending how you look at it, this is the 250th album by Hawkwind, or the first <laughs> album by Hawk Lords. Yes. I think it's the only album they did, uh, bar a live uh, album, under this name. Um, yeah. But this is this is a really different album for them. Um, mm. It's much more accessible than a lot of Hawkwind stuff, which is yeah. quite repetitive and musical, and mm. it does help if you're on a certain amount of drugs to, to listen <laughs> to other albums. Um, but this one is very listenable. It's it's quite accessible to somebody yeah. who likes rock music or pop music. It's it's very, for want of a better word, when listening with Hawkwind, this is very normal music. Yeah. Um, as you, if if you listen to Hawkwind, their music is. Wow. Um, the thing is, they've changed so much over the years. Different albums have different sounds. Their earlier stuff is very spaced out. Then yeah. they go quite rocky, mm-hmm. and then they go a bit spaced out again. Um, yeah. But this one's bang in the middle, and it's kind of... It's not poppy, but it's, it's very accessible for standard music listeners, I suppose. Yeah. So what style of music would you say they are, then? <laughs> what, Hawkwind or Hawk Lords? Both. Hawkwind, drug-related definitely um you just can't you just can't play music like that and expect people to listen to it who aren't stoned in some way because Mm. it's it's a lot of it is especially the early stuff it's quite repetitive it's musical strains played over and over again it's like i suppose it's the forerunner to house (laughs) that sort of music because it's just the same played over and over again until somebody falls asleep in the audience um but it's, I suppose it kind of is the forerunner to kind of house music and stuff like yeah. that, or, or that kind of, you know, dance music that's just repetitive sound. Yeah. Um, I suppose you could say this is where it started, that kind of thinking. Um, mm. But this album is, is a complete change of direction. There's a lot of humour on this album as well. Um, yeah. Uh, Flying Doctors on, on side two um, mm-hmm. is, is quite funny about Outback Australian Doctors. Yeah. Um, cutting out like appendix with with bean cans and things it's, it's quite funny and it's quite lively um yeah. this is this is quite an accessible album i think for most yeah, people cool so which track have you chosen from this album i've chosen the, the title track 25 years on and why, why that particular track um I, I just like this track it's 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 complex it's interesting it's got a lot going on but it's accessible it's one of those you can sit down listen to it and go okay this is this is a, a rocky track um, yeah, and it's not as far out or humor based as some of the other tracks on the album. I think this is this is a good sound that lets you know what the entire album sounds like. Again, Hawkwind are another band. Um, a lot of their um, lyrics are based around sci-fi themes. 
Yeah. And on this album, there are a couple of tracks like that. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, who was enjoying rock, classical and sci-fi at the same time, it was unnatural that I got into this. them as out there as that Hawk Lords album? No, this is where my prog rock comes back in. This is where I, I come back into the fold of prog rock. Now. So uh, I can't remember when this is. This would have been possibly 84-ish, 83-ish when I, when I got this album. Um, again, it was borrowed to me by a friend. Um, yeah. And it was Genesis's Duke, which was released in 1980. It was their 10th yeah. studio album. Mm -hmm. um, and I put this on and Again, because of my classical interest as a youth, yeah. I enjoyed the music yeah. on this album, especially on, on Duke at the beginning and Duke's yeah. Travels and various things. I, lo I love the strength of it and the pound mm. of it. You know, it. It's a great album. And it's a, the, as we've said when we've done the Genesis podcast, you know, yeah. it's a great introduction to the album. The, the, the introduction piece is just so powerful. It draws you in. And mm. uh, I love this album. It, this, is, this got me into Genesis, but... Like we said in the podcast, I then started listening to albums after this, yeah. before going to albums before this. So yeah. this got me into yeah. Genesis and prog rock, I suppose, as a, as a whole. I got more interested into that sound. This is a good transitional Genesis album. Um, it's got the prog rock trappings of their earlier stuff, and it's got the commercial sounds of the later stuff as well so it's a good one to start with i think yeah i think i think this is the album if you were going to get somebody interested in genesis this is the one to start with yeah. um because if you like depending which parts of this album you like it will depend it will tell whether you go backwards or forwards okay so which track do you want to choose from this album there are a lot of great tracks on this uh, one uh, which one are you singling which, out i'm going to say the the first track yeah. purely because of the the it's a great introduction
finally, we're bringing bang up to date with your final album on your list. I wouldn't say bang up to date because this is still like 30 years ago or something like that. At the time, it was it was bang up to date yeah. because this this album had just come out when I got it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not bang up to date now by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> and what album is it? So there's a there's a story to this sort of. Tell me this. It's not, I didn't say it was an interesting story. I just said it was a story. Um, so my friends, uh, we were going to rock clubs and, and things like that. And yeah. again, uh, my friend Dea uh, said, we're going to see this band. Uh, mm. You've got to go and see this band. They're great. He was already into this band. Yeah. And I said, I have no idea. I've never heard of this band. He said, well, we'll get you a ticket anyway. We're going Friday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at Rock City in Nottingham. And I think the band came on about eight, nine o'clock. Yeah. Um, so I came home from work, through town, and bought the album. Yeah. Got home, put it on, and thought, why was I putting up a fight to listen to this band? Because they're brilliant. <laughs> Went out that night, saw the band, blown away by the band live. Yeah. And uh, that was it. I, I loved them from then on. Mm-hmm. So the album uh, was Marillion. Yeah. And this was their first album, Script for a Jester's Tear, mm-hmm. uh, released in 83. And when I went to see them, it was on that tour... And it was actually, I think it was sometime in December, because I remember the T-shirts that we got had the jester, yeah. but he was dancing through the snow. Right. Um, so it was part of the, the winter tour for this, this album. Uh-huh. And uh, oh, it, was, it was absolutely awesome. I, oh, they were so good live. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember coming home, uh, falling to sleep, because obviously it was like wee small hours, yeah. getting up the following morning and putting that album on straight away. And yeah. I, I just listened to it for days solid after that. Mm. Um, it's a great album. Um, I say it was their, their first album, uh, and it was a corker. Yeah, yeah. So that album's just been re-released as a deluxe edition as well, which is very good. What's on the deluxe edition? The deluxe edition's in a nice hardback cover, nice little book. It comes with a remix of the album, a remix of the Market Square Heroes EP, and then it's got two CDs which contain a full live gig from the Marquee, 29th of December 1982. It's also got a Blu-ray that's got the whole album and the EP uh, in 5.1 stereo surround. Uh, it's got a Live at the Marquee Club video. Uh, it's also got a completely brand new making of documentary, which is about an hour and a half long, which is very, very good. And it's got the whole of the recital of the script that was released on video, um, which is from the Hammersmith Odeon. So it's a really good package, actually. So I recommend you get a hold of that if you can. Ooh, good. Hmm. Yeah, I say I, I I loved this album. I just thought it was it was so well done, and yeah. I think it wasn't so much the album that drew me to to this band. Mm-hmm. It was the live performance because yeah. they were, or probably still are, absolutely brilliant live. Mm-hmm. Um, and this because it was Christmas as well. There was a whole festive spirit to it, yeah. and it, I just have a very very positive memory of that gig. Cool. So. Which track are you choosing from this album? I'm going to choose He Knows You Know. Second single from the album?
albums that you've chosen that have greatly influenced your musical tastes across your life? Yeah, I'd say they're not necessarily my favourite ten albums of all time, uh-huh. but I think they are the ten albums that directed my musical taste the most. So, if for some reason you were going to be stuck on a desert island, are those the ten albums you'd take? Probably not. i say they're the ones that influenced me the most, Yeah. Um, but out of those, the only ones that I still constantly listen to mm. are... Rainbow, Rising, uh, Rush Grace Under Pressure, Genesis and Marillion. The rest of them are pretty much, although I listen to them occasionally still, yeah. they've been left by the wayside. I've, right. listened, I've got other bands that I listen to more now. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I don't think I would take those, that same collection with me onto an, al- an island. I think I'd slowly go mad. Okay, so as a final note, what are you listening to most musically at the moment um, I, I'm not listening to a lot of music at the moment I, I'm, I'm, I love audio comedy mm. that is my one true love that has stayed with me throughout my life I mean when I was saying with music I was listening to um, uh, classical music as a child I mm. also had some records that were comedy so I had The Goons uh, yeah. and uh, Beyond Our Ken and stuff like that which I also had again I've no idea where I got those from they just seemed to come to me i must have had some sort of bizarre uncle who kept slipping through into my sort of bedroom at night hoping i'd listen to them in the morning um but uh yeah so comedy has always been my one true love i adore most forms of comedy of course there's constantly stuff being produced by the bbc and various other outlets and some podcasts that do some good comedy um so i'm that's at the moment I'm listening to a lot of that. You got one recommendation from that that you can give to our listeners before we sign off? Um, I, I really enjoyed uh, Quanderhorn. Mm-hmm. This is um, done by Andrew Marshall and Rob Grant. Mm. Both of them have a long history. Uh, Andrew Marshall, I think he was one of the writers of One Foot in the Grave, yep. as I recall. Mm-hmm. And Rob Grant, of course, is, is one of the writers of the original Red Dwarf. Creators. Um, one of the creators. Well, indeed, yes. Um, and they, they got together and they made this um, show, which, uh, according to the blurb, is adapted backwards via the future from Radio 4 series before it was made. Oh. <laughs> um, and it's, it takes place in the early 50s. It's, a, like a, it's almost like a, um, a rip-off of uh, Quatum Mass. Right. Um, but it's, it's very funny. I'm, I'm enjoying that. And they've just released a second series of that, which I'm about to start listening to. Excellent. And I believe that's all available on the BBC Sounds app. I believe it is, yes. Good. If not, it's definitely available through Amazon and various other things where you can buy it as a CD. The Quanderhorn Experimentations. Recorded for the wireless in Superviso Don't forget to put on your protective metal waistcoat and keep small children away from the loudspeakers. Episode 1. It's Eating My Face.
From the Journal of Brian Nyland, December 31st, 1952. It's easy to know where to begin my story, because it begins with the very first thing I can remember, coming to in the back of a moving van, driven by a muscly young man with a rather attractive woman in a lab coat bending over me. Brian, can you hear me? Who are you? It's me, Gemma. Don't you remember, Brian? Who's Brian? <sighs> What's the last thing you do remember? You saying, Brian, Brian, can you hear me? Is he left here? There are no turnings, Troy. We're on London Bridge. So it's straight on, then. Sorry, why are we... There's no time to explain right now. Your name is Brian Nylon. You're 24 years old, and you work with me in Professor Quanderhorn's research team. We're all currently in extreme mortal danger, and the very fabric of reality depends entirely on our actions. Don't be alarmed. No, actually, be very alarmed. OK, we have to go now. I can't get my door open. We've been through all this, Troy. It's the handle, remember? Of course I remember about handles. I'm not an... an, an what are those really stupid people called? Idiots. Yes, I'm not an idiot. Uh, sorry, where are we going? What's happening? Later. Here's your bazooka. Oh, thank you. Well, what? Don't fire unless it comes towards you. Right. Pardon? Excellent. Well, thank you to my guest today, Gary Starr, for sharing his thoughts on his most influential music. The money is in the post, yes? Yes, yes, yes. Shut up, shut up. If you're listening to this before July the 6th, 2020, there's still time for you to vote in the British Podcast Listener's Choice Awards for the Revelation <laughs> Station podcast. This is open to any British podcast. And to vote in the Listener's Choice Awards, simply go to britishpodcastawards.com slash vote. And then you search for the Revelation Station podcast and you'll find us. You can vote for us there. You can vote for as many podcasts as you want on this, but you can only vote once. Um, that Voting for that closes on midday on Monday the 6th of July 2020. And we would very, very much appreciate a vote. Thanks for listening and join us next week for another superb guest. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Dicks. Oh, Dees. Oh, really? Okay. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Dees, brought to you by the Revelation Station podcast. Recorded and edited in Derbyshire by Simon Heldrich. Script by Gary Starr. Original music made with loops. Email us at revelationstationpodcast at gmail.com. To support us, head to buymeacoffee.com and search the Revelation Station. You have been listening to a Revelation Station podcast. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be able to keep that up. No, I'm not going to be able to keep that up.